0: Thank you for tuning in to this sermon podcast from Redeeming Hope. We exist as a family of faith that follows Jesus and helps others find Him by living all of life as missionaries of hope. If you want more information about our church or would like to support our ministry, go to our website at redeeminghope.org. Please enjoy this sermon podcast. Now, as you guys know, I actually preached a sermon a few weeks ago from Togo. Africa. And when I, I was out there to teach a Bible college class on missiology and church planting. And at the end of the class, the last day, I actually did not teach, but my students taught. And I gave them an assignment. I gave them a group project. Now, you might have had group projects in high school or college or in, in education that you've experienced in the past. So you probably know what that looks like. You get combined together with other people and you have a project and you each try to break it up. And part of my requirements were that my students both had to speak equally. So I put them in groups of two and I put the outgoing people with the introverts. And I did that on purpose because I wanted the outgoing people to talk less and I wanted the introverts to talk more. And so I said you had to talk equally. Well, I, I separated the class into three groups and two of the groups did amazing with their final project. But one of the groups unfortunately didn't do that well. This, this one guy in the group, he was the more outgoing guy, he kept pulling the group off course. He wanted to talk about things that weren't in the grading rubric. And I actually wrote it down and I met with them before they presented, heard what they were going to do and said, hey, in order to meet the requirements, you need to change these five things. So I literally wrote it out for him and said, if you do these five things, you're going to get a good grade. Well, guess what? He didn't do any of them. He didn't do any of the five things. So He didn't get a good grade, and that was really challenging for me because they actually were amazing students, but this one guy was kind of pulling his group off course, and he didn't receive the feedback that we had provided for him. So this group project, and, and you've probably experienced this, right? If you've ever been in any sort of educational setting, where it's that one person that pulls things off track. Maybe it brings up topics. Maybe this person brings up topics not related to your study group. Maybe this person brings up problems that don't pertain to the solutions that you're trying to find. Or maybe they're trying to just accomplish their own agenda. And what happens is, is that when you have a person in a group or a project that is consistently doing this, it prevents you from getting the task done, right? So you're not able to advance the ball forward while including them because they keep pulling things off Track. Well, that exact scenario is what was happening in Crete as Paul is writing to his friend Titus. People were causing problems. They were bringing up issues that didn't pertain to the mission of the church. And what they were doing was hindering the gospel from moving forward. And so Paul actually has some instructions to his friend Titus towards the end of the book that connect with things that he was saying at the beginning of the book. And this is our text for today, Titus 3, starting in verse 9. This is Paul writing to his friend Titus as he's wrapping up the book. This is what he says. But avoid foolish controversies, genealogies, dissensions, and quarrels about the law, for they are unprofitable and worthless. As for the person who stirs up division, after warning him once and then twice, have nothing more to do with him, knowing that such a person is warped and sinful, he is self-condemned. Now that's our sermon text for today. You might be wondering, Josh, why in the heck are you preaching on this specific passage? It seems like it's very small and where's the gospel in this? Well, that's what is a challenge, actually, and it's amazing for us to explore this because I actually think there's some real meat in here for us today in Clarksville and actually for the advancement of the gospel through Redeeming Hope and through wherever you might be. So I just want to remind us of the context in which Paul is writing to his friend Timothy. There, P- Timothy is on Crete, and it's an island of chaos and debauchery. It's filled with retired mercenaries. It's with pirates it's filled with dishonest sailors for over a millennia okay so there's retired mercenary soldiers dishonest sailors and pirates and this island has been filled with these warring factions of of dishonest people for a thousand years people would literally just give up their children to be orphans so that they could keep swindling each other so they could keep having um promiscuous sex uh, that they just wanted to live their own lives they wanted to be selfish to the point where the family unit was disintegrating on the island and really what it was was zeus was dominating the culture and and zeus was said to have been born on mount ida which was in crete and so zeus represented idolatry uh, uh, adultery deceit treachery and dishonesty greed and corruption and that was exactly what was happening on the island. So, what, what was happening in the church was there's all these little tiny churches across the island of Crete. And before Titus came, these churches were kind of fighting and bickering with one another. And even the people that were leaders in the Cretan churches were trying to swindle their church members out of money. They were trying to take advantage of them. They were trying to preach for gain. They were trying to get people to pay them to preach sermons that would benefit themselves. It was an absolute mess. But here's the deal. God loved the mess on Crete. He loved the people of Crete and he instilled a love in Paul and in Titus of those people and sovereignly ordained them to get to that island to bring order and correction to what was going on. So Paul is sending Titus to Crete to set the Cretan church in order and he wrote this letter as a guide. So in chapter one, Paul was talking about removing the ungodly leaders and installing godly elders. In chapter two, he was instructing Titus how to teach the church to live as a family that has been transformed by the gospel. So he's talking about what does it look like to be inside the church and treat one another inside the context of the church? And then what does it look like for... To, to live outside of the church in the public sphere, in the public arena? What does it look like to, to live a, as a transformed family? And then in chapters two and three, we looked at when we, the past couple weeks, it was explaining how grace is the, actually the mechanism the, the, that changes us. Grace is the 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 mechanism that trains us to live life differently and how God in his goodness has saved us. And that's what Derek talked about last week. Now we're towards the end of the letter and Paul's reminding Titus how to deal with the troublesome people that he addressed in chapter one. And, And again, it's just really important for us to understand this, right? When we read, we gotta understand the context of what's going on. This letter is written because Titus needs to have instructions on how to deal with setting up the cretian church well so in this context it makes sense for paul to call back to what he talked about in chapter one because that's gonna that's one of the main thrusts one of the main points of this whole letter was how to deal with these people that were causing controversy and division and i actually think that this text points us to three different type types of people that, that Paul's addressing, right? And there's two that are obvious, maybe one that's not so much that we're going to address. There's three different types of people. One, there's well intentioned distractors. Second, there's ill intentioned dividers. And three, there is gospel empowered declares. And you see, here's the deal what was going on in Crete with these three types of people is what's going on in Clarksville or wherever you might be watching this from today. You see, I think that we have the same problems in the local church that Titus had to deal with 2,000 years ago. And and again, we're breaking this up into three different things, three different types of people that this text is addressing. And the first one is the well-intentioned people that can distract the local church. My friends, we all have a tendency to care about certain things kind of... That, that are like our hobby horses, right? That's what we call that. The things that, that, are, that are very unique and special to us that we have very strong opinions on. And we kind of want our way in certain things, don't we? And we kind of want our environment to match our preferences. And I would say that, that when this happens in the church, when people kind of focus on their preferences, most of the time, the, the well-intentioned distractor is the person that genuinely wants to help but might bring up things or attempt to change things that can pull the church off mission, that can pull the church off of keeping the gospel the center of what We do. And actually, there's a guy named Jim Collins, and he wrote a book called From Good to Great. And he talked about in this book how good is the enemy of great. How good is the enemy of the best. And I think that can happen so often in the church, where we can focus on good things, but are they the best things for us to be focusing on? And I think sometimes people have preferences, given their previous church history, given their unique gift set, that might be pulling the church at times off of mission, but they are well-intentioned. The second type of people that I think Paul addresses, and I think that are in our church context here in Clarksville, are ill-intentioned people that can divide the local church. There are some people that want to cause trouble they thrive within chaos. It excites them. It gives them identity. They want to have drama and gossip and distraction and division. And so they purposely walk into a church environment so that they can be the center of something, right? And they want to cause trouble and they gossip and they, they, they have drama that surrounds them. And they kind of are people that go from church to church that want this to happen. And I will say this, that these people are still loved by God, but we actually have very clear instructions on how we are to handle these types of people within a local church context. And then there's a third group of people that this immediate text doesn't explicitly talk about, but I think it implies in the broader context, and that is gospel-empowered declarers that can advance the church. These are people that are not distracted. These are undistracted people. They're focused, they're dialed in. They're not divided, but they're unified in the gospel. They're peacemakers. They're, they're, They're aligning the church. They're bringing the church on mission. They're following Jesus. They're living in light of the gospel and they're helping others find Jesus. And those are the people that we want to be. And we're gonna see from the context of this text how it's very clear that, that there are people like that on the island of Crete. So what we see is that distraction and division within the church seeks to hinder the declaration of the gospel. And this kind of brings us to our main point for today. And it's really a question, and this is that question. How can we be a family that isn't distracted or divided but declaring Jesus in everything that we do. That's our question, that's our goal, that's our focus for this sermon today. So we're just gonna talk about three points that follows, I think, the flow of the text. Distraction, division, gospel, declaration. First, let's look at distraction. That's Titus 3, starting in verse nine. But avoid foolish controversies, genealogies, dissensions, and quarrels about the law, for they are unprofitable, and worthless. And what was happening, I'm going to talk about this for the next two points, is we're going to look at what's happening in Crete, what's happening 2,000 years ago, and then we're going to see how that connects with what happens today within the context of the local church. And actually, this is going to teach you a little bit about our culture at Redeeming Hope and some of the things that we do and some of the reasons why we Do them. So in Crete, there were Jewish believers, there were Jewish people that were struggling with how to process both the Jewish faith and the Christian faith because Jesus was Jewish. Jesus was the fulfillment of the promised Messiah that came from the Jewish faith. But he's starting a new thing called Christianity. And they're trying to wrestle with what this means. So the questions that they're asking are do we need to be born Jewish to be a Christian? Do we need to follow Jewish customs like circumcision in order to be a Christian? Do we need to have the right genealogy? Do we need to follow the law? And what was happening was that there's different factions on the island. Remember, there's mercenaries pilots, and dishonest sailors, okay? These are not people that know how to work well with others, that they're not coalescing, they're not strategizing. You can input any of the modern business vernacular in here. They're not synergizing together, okay? They don't know what that looks like. They're kind of out for themselves, and when they become Christians, they're trying to figure out what this means. So they're fighting about this, right? They're fighting about these Jewish laws and customs. Meanwhile, the people outside of the church are looking in And all they see them arguing about is theology, right? Well, here's a question for you. Isn't that what people are seeing today in the context of the local church? Don't many in our culture look at our church people like it's a good old boys' club? Don't they look at it like it's a place of gossip and drama? Don't they look at it as a place where Bible nerds fight about theological differences, right? I think that that's actually a lot of what people perceive outside of the church looking in. And I actually think that these things happen because of a religious subculture that has formed. And a religious subculture is filled with distraction. Now, when I was growing up, I grew up in kind of a conservative Baptist environment. And I used to hear this phrase all the time, don't drink, smoke, or chew, or run with girls that do. And that was kind of the mantra that they used to teach you, but they were actually really serious. And and here's the, the problem of the religious subculture. Certain man-made definitions of holiness have been created, right? You can't drink, smoke, or chew, or run with girls that do, or ride motorcycles either, right? And there was a certain man-made definition of holiness that's not based in the Bible, but then you say you have to follow this man-made kind of perception of holiness in order for you to be truly accepted as a leader within a local church right so a lot of churches and even the church i grew up in anybody was welcome but if you wanted to be accepted in the club You had to fit certain religious rules and requirements. You had to do certain things. You had to look a certain way. I even recalled about my father-in-law. When he had just become a follower of Christ, he was faithfully going to a church. And then uh, certain deacons came to him one day and said, you got to stop smoking cigarettes before we can let you be a deacon right? Now, that was probably a good thing for my father-in-law in in the long run to not be smoking cigarettes. He's still alive and with it today and he's an amazing man of God and I'm really grateful for him and I'm grateful that he's not smoking cigarettes. But you see how that's like not a biblical thing, right? Like that's a man-made rule that has nothing to do with being a deacon that they came to him and said, you got to do this in order for this to happen. And so it's things revolving drinking, Riding motorcycles. I used to get that. I ride motorcycles. I'm smoking, um, tattoos, even going to a bar, right? And this is unfortunately the problem is that man-made perception of holiness has created a religious subculture that's not biblical, And the outside world looks at that and says, this doesn't make any sense. And to be quite frank, I look at it and it doesn't make any sense to me either. You see, religious people want rule-following workhorses, not trailblazing stallions. Let me say that again. Religious people want rule-following workhorses, not trailblazing stallions. You see, a workhorse is a horse that doesn't have a lot of vision. It's just a pack horse. You can throw a bunch of things on it. It will faithfully plod along. It'll do what you tell it to do. But a trailblazing stallion that that has the ability to advance, it has the ability to move forward, a lot of times those types of people within a church context are not accepted because they they break the Sunday school rules, okay? They break the man-made rules of holiness. And unfortunately, and this is such a grievous thing for me to say, but conservative theology is unfortunately filled with this distraction on certain things, while other things like gossip, gluttony, and pride go untouched and untalked about. And my friends, this not only distracts from the gospel, but it elevates certain perceptions of holiness Above other perceptions of holiness, clearly the Bible says we are not supposed to get drunk. The Bible says don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. But there's other places where it's shown that Jesus is drinking wine, where actually Paul is instructing Timothy to drink a little wine for his stomach, right? So clearly that's not a standard of holiness. But the Bible is really clear on other things like gossip, like gluttony, and like pride. And in certain religious contexts, those things are celebrated where the man-made rules are actually elevated as being more important than what the Bible actually says. And what this does is it not only distracts from the gospel, but it denies it in its core. Because it says, if I have to do X, Y, and Z in order to be a good Christian, then what's happening is that I am not depending solely on the work of Christ. I am not just saved by Christ's work, but also by my efforts to be holy. And I'm not really accepted in the church until I become a Christian accepting Christ's work on my behalf, but then I gotta do all these other man-made things in order to be truly a real Christian that can be accepted into the community. And what this does is it says that I am not innocent by Christ's work alone, I'm innocent by my work too. And that denies the very essence of the gospel message. And my friends, I think that this toxic religious subculture, I think they come from two things. I actually think there's more than two, but I think there's two clearly identifiable things that, come, that, that this religious subculture comes out of. And that's misguided theology and confusing practices. Misguided theology, what that does is it takes one small concept takes one small passage of scripture, and what it does is it ignores the major themes of scripture and wraps a whole theology around maybe one or two Bible passages that could be interpreted differently, right? So again, going back to the drinking thing, not that this is a huge deal, but the Bible says don't be drunk. But it also says that Jesus drank wine, and then it also says that Timothy should drink a little wine for stomach, right? So what we're saying is that that's that's actually a conscience issue. That means that if if you have a proclivity towards alcoholism, if you struggle with alcoholism, you should not drink. And it will be a sin for you to drink. But there's other places and other times and other people where it is acceptable to drink, right? So that's a Bible passage that has to be nuanced. And what happens is, is misguided theology takes a small passage like that, it takes it out of context, it doesn't look at anything else around it, it doesn't look at the broad narrative of scripture, And it develops a really closed handed theology around something that is nuanced. I think that this is one of many examples of misguided theology, but I also think that toxic religious subcultures can also come from confusing practices. There are things that the church did 300 years ago that made normal sense for people that lived 300 years ago. 300 years ago, it was really normal to own a horse. Now, there's some people that still own horses, but it's very odd if you'd see a person that say, I'm gonna go, go to work, and they pull out their horse and buggy, and they jump on it, and they go to work. That just seems a little strange, right? That's not normal, times change. And so what happens is, is that I think confusing practices are formed. They're, they're then elevated, right? And then they're preserved over years, And they're actually elevated to be as important as the gospel itself, right? We have to have a certain style of music is elevated to the same type of importance as preaching the doctrine of justification by grace alone. And people elevate these cultural practices as the gospel. And so there is a problem here that then toxic religious cultures form Around these things. And my friends, I truly believe that well-intentioned people can truly cause distraction in the local church. What is our response to be? Well, the Bible says our response is to love them and gently lead them. Paul instructs Titus to avoid foolish controversies. Don't talk about unimportant things. Don't argue with people about unimportant things unimportant things. And what really he's teaching Titus all throughout the book of Titus is to redirect to Jesus, redirect to the simple gospel of God's grace and God's mercy towards us. So for us in our groups, this is actually really applicable to us at Redeeming Hope. In your groups, I want you to ask questions before you talk about things. Ask like, is this conversation going to be profitable for the advancement of the gospel? Is this conversation about some nuance of theology? Is it going to be profitable for the advancement of the gospel, for us to understand the gospel better? And is it worthwhile for us to talk about? And will it, cur- will it encourage us to follow Jesus and be on mission? And if it can answer those questions, talk about it, engage with it. If it doesn't, then maybe talk about Jesus and his work on our behalf, in our discipleship groups, so that we can keep advancing the mission forward. My friends, unfortunately, there are sometimes well-intentioned people that can cause distraction from our main focus, which should be the advancement of the gospel. Now, Paul is also beginning to address, he switches the conversation in verse 10, and he starts talking about those who cause division, right? So he says, there's, there's certain people that are distracting, right? But then he says this these words, as for a person who stirs up division. So there's a course correct. There's a change in his terminology. As for a person who stirs up division after warning him once and then twice have nothing more to do with him. And this leads us to unfortunately what was happening in Crete was that ill-intentioned people in Crete, they were intentionally stirring up division in order to gain power, control, and to subvert the ministry of Titus. Now remember, some of the Cretian leaders they were stealing from church members for financial gain. So they stood to lose money if and power and influence if Titus was successful and godly leaders were established. So if godly leaders were established, these people stood to lose money and power and influence. And so what they were doing was they were ill-intentioned. They were trying to start trouble to try to subvert the ministry of Titus. They were trying to take him out to regain control and power so they can continue to get money and influence. And my friends, unfortunately, this still happens today, 2,000 years later. And this has actually happened in our little church plant. And it happens often in many churches and i think that there's three different people that can kind of come in to try to cause division or divisiveness within the church people sometimes can come in to try to be power brokers in our church this means that that they kind of come in thinking i'm going to give money i'm going to give time and then i'll have influence over the decisions i want to be in a position of power influence and control and we have seen all three of these people that we're going to address today. We've seen them come through the doors of redeeming hope, and we probably will see them in the future. Second, we've seen people come in to try to be the savior of our church. They think, well, I'll come in, I'll do these things, and then this church will grow. Then this church will get to the next level. It'll be because I or we came in with our vision to advance our thing, right? So sometimes people want to have power, Sometimes people want to be the savior. And finally, some people want to come and just get an ego boost from our church. And there are certain people that want to come and serve and feel good about themselves, but they don't actually want to be known and challenged, right? So they actually use service as a safety net. They use serving to say, I can come and serve in the kids' ministry every Sunday. I don't need a day off. I don't need to be in the service. I'm just here to pour out. And that is actually not the gospel. And that's not what we want as a church at all. And that's actually a red flag when someone comes here. And I'll tell you a, a wonderful story of a dear couple, some dear friends of Rachel and I. And they came to a church that we were working at and um, they came on a Sunday and then they ended up coming to a group that week. And the, the husband sat down and said, look at what we can do. We can do these things, and I can do these things, my wife can do these things, my kids can do these things, and this is all what we can provide for you. And I took one, one look at my friend and I said, I don't need you to sell me. I want you to come to my church. Like, this is what it means, like, pastor church. You want people to come in, be a part of it. I said, but what I really want is for you to rest. And so that person, we gave them a plan to rest for 45 days. And at the end of 45 days, they kept coming. And, and this person came and told me and said, Josh, I've never actually sat in a service for like longer than a few weeks at a time. And this has been amazing. Can we take another 45 days before we serve again? And I said, absolutely, take it. So they went a full three months being a part of our church. And they rested and they healed. And then they began to engage in some small, carefully crafted ways as to not burn them out. But you see, sometimes people wanna come in to get power. Sometimes they come in because they want to be the savior, and sometimes people come in because they just want that ego boost, that I can do this out of my own strength, and I can serve every week, and I don't need anything from you. And so my friends, to prevent this, we actually have a very clear framework for how people come into our church, how people come into Redeeming Hope. There's actually a three-step process, and the first step is rest. So minimum of 45 days, you rest. You just come and receive. And the real question that we're asking is, can you be in a group and can you attend faithfully? Without having a role, without having us need or rely on you, do you care about the vision? Are you sold on the vision of this church? Are you sold on us being a family? Are you drawn into the gospel? Are you drawn into how we're expressing the gospel in such a way that you can show up to church even when you're not on the serving schedule? That you can give even when you don't have to? that you can show up and receive without getting anything from us. And my friends, this protects people from trying to get an ego boost mentality. That that, that prevents them from saying, I can come in and serve every week. Because we say, no, we don't want you to. And there's actually some people that have come to our church, they've gotten healed up, they've rested, and they felt God leading them to go to another church within those 45 or 90 days. They've never once served in our church. And you know what? That's okay. That's all right. That's what we're here for. We're here to serve Clarksville. We're here to serve our city. We're here to serve people. So we want to say the gospel means that you can rest. So we want you to come and rest. So that's the first step. The second step when you come into Redeeming Hope is service. We want you to take on a small servant role on a team, right? So this means what we're really asking is, can you work under another person even if you could do it better? Because there are certain people that we've had as team leads in our church that were not the most competent at doing that, but they were the most humble. And that will lead us to the third point. But really, what we're trying to remove in that is the savior mentality. We don't want somebody coming in and saying, I can lead a team immediately. We wanna see, can you stack chairs? Can you do the dishes? Can you show up and serve in the kids' ministry? Can you show up to a group consistently? Like, those are the things that we want to see with the people within our church context. We want you to rest. We want you to serve in a small, simple way, not in a leadership role. And does that go well? And then finally, if we see those things, We say invited leadership. That means that we want to gradually invite you to either lead a discipleship group or lead a team when you demonstrate humility. Humility is the number one thing that qualifies you for leadership in our church. There's other things, but the most important thing is that you are a humble person. Can you wait? Can you be invited? And what this does is it removes the power broker mentality. It removes you trying to come in to try to control things. Because what we're saying is, can you serve faithfully? Can you attend a group? Can you be vulnerable in community? Are you passionate about the vision of this church? And if those things are are there, then what we want to do is we want to invite you in to a role when we see humility demonstrated. And what this does is this protects our church. And my friends, I got to tell you, every single time I have circumvented this process, Rachel and I have been hurt. We've had people that have come in and that have left in very bombastic ways. And when people first come in, they're confused by this because this is not how most churches operate. Most churches actually the, the main way that they keep people sticky in the church, like coming back, is to give them a service role. And we want the reason why you're sticky with redeeming hope, you keep coming back is because of the vision, it's because of the gospel, it's because of discipleship, it's following Jesus and what we're about. That's what we want. And and I really will say taking time, going slow, seeing how others humbly serve, it is the best way to develop trust, to develop leaders within the church, and to shape a culture that is really cared for. Because we want you to be here because you're passionate about what we're passionate about. We want to be passionate together about Jesus, gospel, family. We want those things. We want that to be the reason why you keep coming back to Redeeming Hope. And my friends, this is also a great way to protect our church against divisive people coming in and taking on leadership roles And hurting other people. Now I will say this as a little aside, Um, and I'm going to say one of the best ways to destroy a church and how we deal with this as a church family. Gossip is the best way to divide a church. So if you want a number one way to destroy a church from the inside out is to come in and to gossip about other people. And my friends, this is how we handle it as a church. This is how we handle divisiveness because gossip creates divisiveness because people are talking about other people and not talking to them directly. And the Bible is very, very clear in Matthew 18 on what we're supposed to do. So this is my advice and counsel for our church and for wherever you might be. So if you're hearing somebody talk about someone else, shut it down immediately and without question. And the best way to do that is just look them in the eyes and say, have you talked to that person directly about what you're saying to us? That's all you gotta say. Have you talked to that person directly? And if they say no, then you say, how can I help you and that other person get connected this week? You actually take a step. You begin to lead. You are actually part of how we preserve unity in our church. Now, if that person won't go to the other person, then then I want you to try your best to get them together. Say, you're talking about this person. You have a problem with them. Why don't you go talk with them directly? You see, all of us in our church are peacemakers. All of us are filled with the same Holy Spirit. It's not just on me. It's not just on our leadership team. It's on everybody. And so you can be a peacemaker by the simple question of, hey, did you go talk with that person directly? And, oh, you haven't had a chance to. How can I help? Can I start a group text and just say, hey, I think you guys really need to talk about this, right? My friends, I want to address me for a second as your pastor. If somebody is talking about me, I really want you to follow this very same process. I want you to get people face-to-face to to talk things out. And if they have a problem with me, guess what? More than likely, part of what they're saying is right. Like, I'm not a perfect person. Almost every criticism leveled against me or anyone else probably has a nugget of truth in it, right? And so, because we all are broken, and we all need help. And so even with someone's worst criticism, there's probably an element of truth that God's Spirit wants to take to grow you. And I really welcome that. and I want our church to welcome that. So, if you hear somebody talking about someone else, even if it's somebody talking about me, I want you to encourage them to come talk to me or talk to that other person directly. But here's the deal as a church, we don't ever tolerate gossip. And really, people have left our church in spectacular fashion who wanted to try to divide us. And I actually think it's been God's grace to us that they left before hurting others. And so I just want to encourage you as your friend, as your pastor as the person that's a church planter trying to plant a gospel-centered culture, is that this is how we preserve unity, is we shut gossip down from the get-go. And this leads us to the next verse, Titus 3, 10 to 11. So going back, we'll just read verse 10 again and tack on 11 to it. As for a person who stirs up division, after warning him once and then twice, have nothing more to do with him. Knowing that such a person is warped and sinful, he is self-condemned. That word warped means to be turned inside out. It's to just be turned all up and twisted inside. And this idea of being self-condemned is literally just saying, this is who I truly am. So ill-intentioned people can cause division in the local church. And my, fr- my friends, our response is very simple. We warn them t- once, we warn them twice, and then we have nothing more to do with them. Because the unity of the church is so important because our mission is so vital. We want to be a space that's welcoming to people that don't yet follow Jesus. We want this to be an open space to ask questions. And in order to create that, we need a safe culture. And so if there's someone that comes in or people that come in that are not safe, that's okay. They can go to another church. And actually, Paul is telling Titus, this is how you deal with them. You address it, you confront it. If they don't want to change, have nothing more to do with them. Because the mission of the church, to be a hospital for those who are spiritually sick, To be a place of family where you can come in and get a meal together, both spiritual and physical meals, right? Having a safe place to ask questions, a safe place to grow is so much more important than accommodating a person that wants to be divisive and wants to wreck our unity. And so it's so vital, so important for us in our advancement of the gospel. My friends, we've talked about this, distraction and now division. And here's the truth. This is not just people, other people, this is also you and me. We all have a tendency to distract from the real core issues, right? We all have things that we really value and when those things aren't happening or those things aren't expressed the way that we want them to be, may- maybe we kind of overfocus on certain things at times, right? We don't want to address maybe our own problems in our own lives and so we wanna cause some distraction. Here's the deal, all of us in one way, shape or form have a tendency to divide. Right? It's just built into our core operating system as humans. Some, some of this might be a response to being hurt in the past. Some of this might be a self-defense mechanism. Sometimes we cause division unknowingly by maybe misquoting something or misstating something or maybe talking about someone when we didn't even plan to talk about them, but it just came out, right? And some people do it knowingly with ill intent. And so if we were to just end the sermon here and say, hey, don't distract and don't be divisive, Go on, see you later, see you next week. Like if we were to do that, my friends, there would be absolute hopelessness. So how does the gospel speak to this? How does the gospel draw us? Really the question that's so much deeper is how can you and I live different? My friends, this is the truth of the gospel and this is where gospel declaration comes in. It is only by the power of God's grace in the good news of Jesus. It is only by gospel power that you and I cannot be divisive, that you and I cannot be distracted, that you and I, we can shape a culture of unity and peacemaking that's speaks plainly and clearly to one another where we don't have gossip and divisiveness my friends god makes clear that a new way of living will only be possible through god's grace not our work not our work and determination it's not you and i's work and determination that will keep this church unified and keep this church centered in peace and free from gossip no It is only by God's grace, it is only by his gospel, it is only possible by receiving his good news for us that we can live out the gospel. Look with me, and this goes back to Titus 3.3 which Derek talked about, Last week, and he did an amazing job. But we can't get to the gospel without going backwards to see the context in which this was placed in. So look at Titus 3.3 as we begin to see how gospel declaration is the key to not being divisive or distracted. Look Look at what it says. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. My friends, this is the distractor, this is the divider, this is you and me. This is where we were. This is where we are apart from God's grace. This is where you are if you have not yet chosen to repent and believe and follow Jesus with your life. But it doesn't end there. Look with me at verse four of Titus three. But, but when the goodness and loving kindness of God, our savior appeared, he saved us. Not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit. My friends, this is the solution. It is God's grace. God saves us flowing out of his mercy. He regenerates us. He revives our hearts and he brings renewal and he brings the power to change us to be focused peacemakers, to be focused unifiers that, that rejects division, that rejects distraction, that focuses us on the gospel and focuses us on God's peace so that we can be together as a family. And then he goes on in 3.8 and he says, this saying is trustworthy and I want you to insist on these things so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people. My friends, the key to good works is declaring the gospel to our own hearts within our church and to the world. We are careful to devote ourselves to good works, not by focusing on good works, not by focusing on being careful, but by believing the gospel in every area, every facet of our lives so that we become changed from the inside out. We can reject division, we can reject distraction by preaching the gospel, by receiving it consistently within our hearts and lives. The gospel of grace, it trains us to renounce being the distractor and the divider. And it trains us to embrace a different way of living as Titus two eleven twelve 12 says. My friends, believing the gospel, declaring the gospel is the power that moves us from distraction to focus. It moves us from division to peacemaking. So if I were to just leave us here, this is more gospel than it was a few minutes ago, but really we gotta put the rubber, we gotta make the rubber hit the road here. What are the practical ways that we can believe the gospel in our heart so that we don't distract, so we're not divisive, so we can handle those who come into our church that seek to distract us, that seek to divide us? How do we declare the gospel to protect our church from these things? My friends, I wanna say before I put the slide up, is that you matter. You matter to our church. Every single one of you that considers redeeming hope your church family, you can help this place move towards health or you can help this place move towards unhealth, okay? You can contribute to us looking more like Jesus as a church family, more unified, more peace-filled, or you can contribute to us being more divisive, more distracted, and more fear-based. You can do that. Every one of us needs to be working together. So your personal walk with Jesus has a corporate influence in our church. And it's actually magnified by the fact that we're so small. Some people in the past who've since left have lamented that our church is small. And my friends, at times, even I have. But I can tell you with confidence, standing in front of you, this recording right now, I'm glad our church is small right now. Because it shows you how much you matter to this family. Like when you are struggling, our church is struggling. And we feel it because we're a smaller family. So when you're thriving, when you're walking with Jesus, when you're reading the Bible, our church family is healthier and we see the results immediately. Like when you show up to group for a few weeks and you read the Bible and your marriage is healthier and your relationships are thriving and you're walking in a greater degree of holiness, like our church feels the reverberation and we also feel it in the opposite. If you want to pull back from community, if you're being prideful and arrogant, if you're not reading the scriptures consistently, not tuning in, not serving, we feel it. And so I want you to know that you matter. So how do we declare the gospel to ourselves? and to one another, to prevent distraction and division. Well, there's, there's five things I want to address. One is read the Bible, pray, and abide with Christ. Just do those things. Read the Bible consistently. Pray consistently. We have a church-wide reading plan. We have groups to hold you accountable doing those things. But your personal walk with Christ so matters. It matters to God because he loves you. He wants to spend time with you. The Bible says in John 15, Jesus teaching his disciples, he said, apart from me, you can do nothing. He said, abide in me and I in you, for apart from me, you can do nothing. So this means that we can't be unified. We can't be filled with peace as a church unless we're walking with Christ, we're abiding with him. So read the Bible, pray consistently, spend time with Christ. Second, attend a group and stay focused on the gospel in that group. So that means avoiding foolishness, avoiding foolish controversies, avoiding foolish conversations that don't advance the gospel. Stick with the simple gospel, find it in the text, talk about it, encourage one another to repent and believe it in your life, and then leave. That's what it's there for. That's what groups are there for. And what will happen over time as you follow Jesus with a group of people, you will develop deeper friendships. But the goal of groups is not that you make best friends for life. The goal of groups is that you're following Jesus and helping others find him. That's what the goal of a group is. And out of that, we'll form genuine friendships. Next, attend our gatherings. My friends, there is something that happens in you when you come underneath the preached word of God from a pastor. There is a humility that you have to have that says, I need this. And my friends, I need this too. I need these sermons. I need to listen to the gospel consistently in my life. To come to the gathering, you also serve faithfully when you're asked. Like, be responsive. Put hand to plow in our church. After your time of rest, put hand to plow. And we want to encourage you as you come to the gathering to contribute your time and your things to help our family advance the gospel. Like, your time means you serve your gifts, but then your things, you actually contribute financially to advance this church. This is walking in obedience to Jesus, and it will be a benefit to your walk with the Lord. I guarantee you. Next, and these are the two things that are maybe specific to this sermon, be on guard for gossip and division. Have your ears attuned to it and shut it down. Lead people in humility and peacemaking. Ask that question. Have it in the back pocket. If you hear anyone talking about anyone else, if you hear them talking negatively, they're not, the Bible says that we should outdo one another in showing honor. Like, that should be a competition. Like, it should be kind of like a healthy, good, fun competition in our church to see how we can show honor the best to one another. And so if you observe that, say, hey, have you talked with that person directly about that? Just ask that question. Be bold. Be confident. You're walking in the Spirit. You're being obedient to Jesus, and you're following the direction of your pastor. Say, hey, have you talked to that person directly about that? Maybe you should. Can I help you two get together? Can I start like a group text to just say, hey, I think you guys need to meet and talk through some things? And then follow up with that person and be on guard. Lead strong, lead well. You all can lead well in us walking and rejecting division and distraction and embracing humility, embracing peacemaking and addressing unification and focus. My friends, we can move, the gospel helps us move from distraction to focus, from division to peacemaking as we declare the gospel continually to ourselves and others. And when we declare the gospel consistently, that it's God's grace that we are saved. It is not by our work or our energy. We reject that toxic religious culture. We are not a church that is distracted or divided, but we become a church that is declaring Jesus in everything.